Whoops. You stumbled into that leadership position. You had a big vision, big ideas, but it hasn't gone quite as you planned. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Accidental Leader Podcast with your accidental leader, Bo McDonald. Welcome into episode number 12 of The Accidental Leader. I'm your host and fellow accidental leader, Bo McDonald. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. I want to say thank you to our two sponsors of The Accidental Leader. It's your marketing company who, for over 15 years, been empowering credit unions to engage, educate, and retain the next generation of credit union members. And also Uncommon, spelled U-N-C-O-M-M-N. Uncommon is the preferred web development partner for innovative organizations seeking control of their online presence. You can find them online at getuncommn.com. That's getuncommon.com. As we get into episode number 12 today, I want to take a, a step back and you're going to hear a few familiar names in today's episode. The, the first one I want to go back and talk about, I don't remember what episode it was. It was early on in, in the fall of 2022 when we first kicked off this podcast. I had mentioned Ann Griner. Mrs. Griner was my elementary school art teacher, and I shared what an impact she had on me. The, the many stories that I have of her, the, uh, especially the, uh, the yardstick with duct tape all over it, how she kept control of the classroom. It would get slammed on the desk. And if you owned stock in a duct paper company back in the late 80s, early 90s, you probably uh, gained a lot of profits just purely from the amount of duct tape that went on her yardsticks in her classroom. The unfortunate thing about Mrs. Griner, the impact that she had on me, is I never got to say thank you. By the time that I realized what a, a treasure she was and what an impact she had on me, as I started taking inventory when I became a leader of, of those who had poured into me, both good and bad, I wanted to say thank you to her. And I realized I was about six months too late by the time I came to that realization. As I was Googling her to see, where, where can I find Mrs. Griner? I found her obituary instead of an actual address, and it was too late to, to let her know what an impact she had on me and what she meant to me. And I'm sure you can think of a name right now, someone that you wanted to go back and, and say thank you to and, and let them know what an impact they had on your life, and, and it was just too late. The cool thing is, in today's episode, I get to say thank you to someone who did have an impact on me, and, it, and it's not too late. We're going to share some, some stories and, and probably a few laughs as well. If you go back to uh, another early episode, I believe it was episode number two, when I was talking about the two Johns that I worked for. There's one John, not such a great leader, that did have an impact on me, and, and one that was such a great leader. One of the first leaders I worked for, John Davison, the former program director of, of WHWK. And, and today's episode is an example of what a small world it is, because our guest today, we both grew up in the same small town, went to high school in, in Whitney Point, New York, several years apart. We both started our radio careers at WHWK in, in Binghamton. We both worked for John Davison there. Our guest today went off uh, about an hour away to, to run a group of radio stations in Elmira, New York, uh, Wink 106, 100.9 The Pig. And it was several years uh, after he got there that he ended up hiring me to leave WHWK and go out there. Our guest today is Bob Quick. Three, two, one. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. Courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon.
Bob, welcome to the Accidental Leader Podcast. Well, that, you know, I'm glad we turned our cameras off on the Zoom meeting because you, you made me tear up a little bit there. Uh, I, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot softer and uh, yeah, very kind words, Bo. Thank you. It's an honor to be here and it's an honor to be thought that way. You know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm under so much pressure on this, this episode. Out, out of the 12 that I've done so far, I've my former program director here on the podcast with me. And I know as soon as we get done recording, I'm going to have an air check. And you're going to give me everything that was great and everything that I can do better next time. Is that right? Well, we can do that if you want. I mean, it's, it's no problem. I've done thousands of them. So why not? We, we'll, we'll do another one for old time's sake. <laughs> like the good old days, the, the days when you used to make me tear up. <laughs> and, and not in a good way. I'll tell you who made me tear up was the, you already mentioned him, John Davison. He made me he made me question whether I even should be in this business many a time, but made me better for it. You know, uh, okay, we'll save those stories because we could go off the off the rails right now and spend probably three hours sharing stories about that. So for sure. Bob, where are you right now? Now, you used to be my program director up in Elmira, New York. You and I have moved around a bunch over 20 years. You've landed in Charlotte. You're at MRN. Tell us about your, your position there now. Yeah, so I'm director of radio partnerships and traffic at Motor Racing Network, a brand that's been around for 54 years. Uh, we produce live racing events from uh, specifically NASCAR, the top three levels of uh, of NASCAR, the three touring series, the NASCAR Cup Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and the the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Um, I got this job eight years ago, um, knowing the product very well, because in a number of markets that I worked in, we carried the programming. And uh, I lead a team of uh, three wonderful ladies um, who um, build relationships between us and the radio stations that we serve prospect for new markets and also um which it kind of seems like it's it's not related because it sort of isn't but because of my background in radio um i'm also in charge of the traffic department so we do uh we were the pivot point between production and sales and scheduling and uh making sure all the uh, assets are ready for uh for the races uh on the air commercial wise so I want to go back a little bit because this isn't just a job for you. You love NASCAR. You've always loved NASCAR as long as I've known you. So this has got to be such a, a pleasure to to have a job where you can get paid to be in an industry that you that you love. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, it really combines two passions of mine. You know, I always said I've never. I always tell people I never worked a day in my life because uh, radio has always been a passion of mine. Um, going all the way back to watching WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, and just thinking, man, that Andy Travis has got a really cool job. He works with all these nutcases. It looks like it's a lot of fun. And, it, and, and in a lot of ways, that that uh, that television series certainly um, is a great barometer of of um, the creativity that you find in this business. Now, I wasn't a NASCAR fan growing up. Uh, I was a stick and ball guy, football, baseball, basketball. Um, centered around that. But I happened, like you mentioned, to get a job in Elmira, New York, which is just 20 minutes away from um, a world-renowned racetrack by the name of Watkins Glen International. And uh, early on in that programming um, uh, job that I had uh, in Elmira, I was uh, lucky enough to attend a race 
And I just was always amazed by the money um, that surrounds the sport and quickly became a fan just through osmosis of living in that area. And um, so, yeah, when you and I've been a fan ever since. And so you combine two things that I, I truly love into one job. But really, this really is a dream job for me. I'm able to live in the radio world and the NASCAR world all, all at one time. And I want to share a little bit about how you got here, because radio can be a, a cruel, cruel job. You've <laughs> been kicked a few times. You've been out. You've probably taken on some jobs for paycheck while you're looking for the next cool thing because that's what what radio people do and I'm, I'm sure there's folks sitting here right now that listening that, that are doing something that maybe they don't enjoy and i think it's a, a testimony to you just keeping on keeping on and and finally landing that place that that you can just call home that you that you love that's not just a job it, it's a pleasure to be there well it's funny it's uh, it's been a weird journey for sure you know like i said i WKRB kind of inspired me to, to decide, geez, that's, you know, that's something that I want to do. I end up going to Ithaca College for television and, uh, and radio uh, media. And uh, uh, throughout that time, I worked for John. I worked at uh, another station in the Binghamton market, WMRV, um, when it was a light rock station for a guy by the name of Ray Keller. He kind of gave me my first break. In fact, he told me, Bob, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire you because I'll see you less if you work for me. Um, and when you don't, so, you know, kind of got my start in the part-time world there while I was, while I was going to college, landed that first full-time job in Elmira, uh, went through a couple of owners while I was there. So, uh, I, I was actually in that market for almost 10 years. So it's a, you know, it's, it, it's the old story of, uh, in the radio industry, you go through a lot of change, whether that's switching jobs, or if you stay in one place, there's a good chance that the ownership's going to change. Uh, definitely the management will change. So uh, I was lucky that I didn't get fired from my first job till I was 39 years old. Um, ever ha- after having three or four jobs in the Elmira, in the Elmira market, uh, then moving to Columbus, Georgia, running stations there. And uh, that was the first time that, that I ever was let go. And, 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 and you know, they always say in, in radio, that's a badge of honor that, you, that you're actually fired from a job, unlike, <laughs> unlike the real world. Um, so I went from Columbus back to uh, the Elmira market and ended up selling um, uh, advertising for a group there for a number of years um, before uh, I was reached out to by a uh, college friend of mine who was running a national rep firm. Uh, it's a company that uh, represents um, a number of radio stations across the country to kind of make an ad hoc network to uh, advertising agencies in New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, and whatnot uh, to, to buy across the country as opposed to buying market to market. And I worked there for just a hot minute. Um, because the gentleman I worked for, uh, his contract did not get renewed. And uh, I, I, that was the second time I was let go. The new guy came in and said, well, you know, Bob, there really isn't a place here for you. You were hired to talk to radio stations. I need more people selling to the agencies. Um, and uh, I don't really think that fits your your skill set. Could I have done it? Probably. Was I happy that I got that telephone call? Absolutely. Because it went from a job that I really enjoyed working uh, day to day with a, a gentleman that I, uh, that I knew uh, quite a long time. And, and we had a lot of success in that short time um, to zero communication. And just, it was just not right for me. 
So in that space between that, when I got this job, I was looking all over. We had, uh, my wife and I had decided that we wanted to move back south. And uh, we were living in New York, upstate New York at the time. And, uh, you know, as you are on unemployment, I'm sure, Bo, you've gone through this. You have to meet once in a while, depending upon the state that you're in the unemployment rules under and uh, meet with the people just to prove that you're uh, looking for work or, you know, to get some counseling on the best way to do it, or maybe, you know, some direction on your resume, whatever. And I remember the lady saying to me, you know, Bob, I was really, you know, you, you work in a specialized area. I don't know much about it. My only suggestion to you is to decide if you really do want to move out of the area, find an agency like ours and look at their openings. You never know. There might be something there. So I kind of tucked that away in my head. A couple of days go by and going through my morning routine of looking for work. And uh, sure enough, I remembered that little tidbit that she gave me. And uh, so I looked in like the North Carolina, I don't know, labor department or something like that. And I see this listing from Motor Racing Network. And I thought to myself, what in the world? I, I what, what are they looking for? And as I read the job description, it was absolutely everything that I had done to that point in my career sales, knowledge of programming, not afraid to be on the phone and talk to people, um, you know, uh, love of NASCAR, all these different things uh, that I've done in my career and also my background. And uh, because I had used the programming in, in uh, markets that I've worked in, radio markets that I worked in, I reached out to uh, the woman who actually ended up hiring, Cheryl Knight. I reached out to her and said, hey, Cheryl, do you know who's hiring for this position? Um, just via email, I sent it to her. And uh, literally five minutes later, my phone rang. Bob, what are you doing? Yes, I'm hiring. I know exactly who's hiring for this. It's me. And blah, blah, blah. And, and that started my path to, to within a couple of months to, to end up moving to, uh, to Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, been with the network ever since. You know, I think there's two words that come out of that in in for folks who are struggling with what they're doing, tenacity, just keep on keeping on and, and looking for that next thing, but, but also hope, you know, the, the fact that, that you could have done anything and, and you landed there. So twice with, so, so I've, I've been married twice. Okay. The first one didn't work out so well. Second one, we've been married 20 years. Um, and uh, she's absolutely the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And we went through the biggest struggles twice now uh she and i um the firings aside the um looking ahead to see what the next thing is um while i was still in elmira very early on in, in our marriage i actually had decided that you know maybe radio is not for me um you know it's time to kind of grow up i'm married now we want to have kids uh so i started studying uh, my for my series seven to maybe get into insurance. And I remember sitting there one day studying for this exam that I had zero interest in. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I don't think it's time yet because I don't want to do this. I, I, I want to give radio one more shot. And literally the next day, Another friend of mine from college calls me and says, hey, Bob, I'm starting this company. We're going to have uh, radio stations in this market, in this market. And I think you'd be really great in Columbus, Georgia. 
I said, well, you know, awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you thinking of me, but why do you say that? He goes, because I just hired your old boss, Greg Delmonico, and I want you guys both to be there. Oh, geez. And I haven't heard that in years. <laughs> so uh ended up moving to Columbus, Georgia with Greg Delmonico and his wife. You know, he got there maybe a few years before me. But yeah, I was I thought maybe that you had worked um with me in Elmira during Greg's time as general manager there. And uh, so I thought you, maybe you'd know that name, but yeah. So my buddy, Chris Fleming ended up hiring us kind of as, as a package deal, although unintentional. Um, and uh, we, we took over the state. That's why I moved to, moved to um, uh, Columbus, Georgia. And it kind of saved my radio career because I was ready to move out and do something different. So a, a fun Greg story. I, I can, Plain as day, I can see this. It was, gosh, early 2000s. I was sitting in the production room at, at Wink 106, and Frank wasn't a man of many words, especially to the, the lower folks like me. You could tell he had a fun personality. He didn't really let loose in the office, though, but sometimes he would just say things, and you look at him like, who in the world are you? I was sitting <laughs> in the production room, and, and the production light was on. You know, the, the flashing light that says, please don't come in here. I'm in the middle of recording something. He opens the door and he just looks at me. And I don't know where this came from, but he said, let me give you some advice from an older person like me. Thou shalt not dip thy quill in the company ink, if you know what I'm saying. And he shut the door and he walked <laughs> away. It's like, who? you never say anything to me. What, what in the world sparked this? But. It's funny. Those words have stuck with me. And every once in a while, I'll, I will give that advice to younger <laughs> leaders. Thou shalt not dip thy quill in the company ink, says Greg Delmonico. It makes me wonder who he saw you talking to on staff. <laughs> you know, that's that's probably uh, for another podcast episode on another <laughs> somewhere. But I, I always thank Greg for those words of advice. Probably He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> So I want to go back and, and talk about th this process. We'll, we'll talk about some specific leaders, but through all of this change, I would think that would inspire fear. You're, you're, you know, in radio, new management is always coming in. New owners are always taking over. And it's almost just a, a life of survival for some people to just stay under the radar. How did that impact your decision-making as, as a leader? At that point, and also today, I'm, I'm sure that's put a lot of stuff in the root system that you've had to work through. So, you know, I can it cause fear and does it cause fear, especially in people that you lead? Absolutely. Especially if they haven't gone through it before. Um, I'm trying to think back to the first time we were we were sold. I think I was too young and too dumb to know any better. And certainly overconfident in my abilities, not saying that it wasn't, I shouldn't have been confident in my abilities, but, you know, we all go through, especially as young men, a time of uh, uh, cockiness versus confidence. And, um, you know, kind of like, kind of felt like I was Teflon, you know, nothing stuck to me. I was that good. And I would, uh, you know, I would survive anything. As time goes by, by and those um, those situations happen to you, I've given this advice to to I don't know how many people. Just put your head, just get, put your head down, control what you control, do your job, and you'll be fine. And for the most part, um, that's true. Now there are situations where um, things 
do happen and it's absolutely not a reflection on the person. Uh, they end up being cut because of budget reasons or whatnot. But for the most part, you know, 90, 90% of the people that I've given that advice to survived whatever merger acquisition um, that we've ever, uh, that I've ever gone through. Just, you know, you just do, you control what you can control. So you do your job well, you do the hard work and, and show your value. And, and it certainly, like I said, has worked at least 90% of the time people that I've given that, that, that advice to. So think back to the most inspirational, influential leader that you've worked with, who's had the most positive impact on you. Who was that leader? Tell us about them. Tell us what you learned from that person and what you carry with you today from that experience. So, you know, we already mentioned him. It was Greg Delmonico. Um, partly because, you know, when you move to a new place um, and you happen to do it with somebody that you know, you end up leaning on them probably a little bit more than, um, than you would if you uh, just found somebody once you got there who already lived there, right? Because they didn't go, they, they haven't gone through those same experiences of moving and a new job and all this stuff. So when you do that together with somebody, it really builds a bond. And I had already been very good friends with Greg. Um, you know, he, he taught me a lot about being a man. He taught me a lot about my, uh, my Christian faith. And uh, he's the first guy that uh, ever told me that he loved me and, and, and basically saying that it's okay to tell another man that you love him. It's, it's okay. You know? Um, so he is most definitely outside of my dad and the Lord. He is most definitely the most positive male um, mentor role model that I've had. Now, I can name six or more people who don't feel the same way about Greg Delmonico. Didn't see that side. Had uh, uh, would have a negative view of him. He wasn't perfect, um, but I don't think people have to be. You can always grab something positive from someone's influence on you, and uh, his positives way outweighed any negatives. Did he challenge me in, in ways, but it made me grow. Um, my son, I named my son after Greg. Uh, that's, that tells you right there how much I, I hold him in regard. So that it's interesting you mentioned that because I can think back to several leaders who I would say th- these were folks who I learned a lot from it. And Griner, who I mentioned in, in the opening of this podcast, there were so many students who didn't like her because she was strict. She was strict. She expected the best out of you. She knew that if you had potential and you were squandering it, it frustrated her. And I I learned so much. And I think it's because she really wanted the best for everyone. And those who who didn't give their best or or just screwed off in class, they they didn't like her because she was strict. Do you you feel that way about Greg, that that he could see something in people and and would challenge them? and, And some people just didn't want to be challenged. They didn't rise to it. So, you know, you bring up a good point. People don't like to be challenged um, for the most part. Um, People are better for it. And I think most people, once they are, once they get through it, they see the benefit from it. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, you know, the challenging people are the people that you remember. You know, Um, I always tell my son. The right choice is usually the hard choice. Um, 
And I think that goes a long way when you talk about uh, people that challenge you, you know, the ones that you remember, the ones that challenge you, the, the, the people that were easy and let you get by and, and whatnot. Do you, I mean, do you really remember those people? I don't think you do. If you were to look back on, on the time that you worked under Greg, what is one thing you today as a, a leader, having, having folks under you, having a family, what is one thing that you keep with you that, that you would say, what I do today, this is, this is the Greg in me. What is that one thing? Well, I think, boy, that's, that's a good one. I think empathy. I think he helped me learn to be empathetic, seeing the other person's side, um, putting yourself in their shoes, not assuming their intention, um, not quickly reacting to a situation, you know, digest all the information before you, before you make a decision, especially when it comes to, um, you know, that personal interpersonal matters, um, relationship matters. Um, I think that would be it. You know, I can't say enough for that. I'm glad I learned that at the time that I did, because I can recall a time when, when I had a, a stellar employee who had been showing up late several days in a row. And, and to me that it just wasn't respectful to the team. And I was about ready to just pull the trigger and say, you can't be here. You can't be on the team. If, if you just can't show up on time, that, that's a basic. And, and rather than just making the decision saying you have to go, I wanted to know why, because you you, she, she was a really good employee. Come to find out there were issues at home with, with parents that, that had substance abuse problems that were impacting personally and and just knowing that you can look back and say what an ass i would have been if i just fired that person without asking a question first or trying to figure out what's going on and that probably would have been one of the biggest mistakes of my career if i'd and empathy is hard for me because i'm a, i'm a high d on, on the on the disc I, I just want to make decisions sometimes it's hard for me to ask for perspective or sometimes i just forget to do that and Gosh, that, that was a huge lesson for me of, of making sure that empathy is, is always there and you're asking for perspective before you just go making decisions like that. Yeah, you know, being a manager, um, you can't assume that the person you are leading um, feels the same way you do, um, has the same vision you do. Um, has the same work ethic you do, has the same personality you do. And I think early on, especially in my management career, um, it was my way or the highway. And uh, if if they didn't have all the things that, um, all those things that I just mentioned the same way as I did, well, then they either needed to comply or they needed to, so, you know, go bye-bye. And um, I think that's one of the hard lessons you learn as a manager because you want to make your impact. You want to have, have your vision realized, but there's a lot of ways to do that. And um, one of the things that I've always believed, and I'm not sure who taught me this, I, it might have very well been, been Greg Delmonico because I've been blessed with a number of good managers um, you know, that I've worked for and uh, you know, give them the tools to do their job well, and then get out of the way. 
And that's, that's the way I, that's the way I try to lead. Now, do they need direction? Do you need the media and need to inspect what you expect? Absolutely. Um, but just make sure that they have the tools that they need to do their job and then let them, let them do their job. As you look back, uh, what you just mentioned early on in, in your leadership career, you, you had folks that, that worked for you that, that, you know, you kind of said, I'm, I'm the manager. This, this is the way we're doing it. No questions asked. Did, you don't need names, but, but are there times where you might have seen someone with so much potential that they couldn't reach because, because you were micromanaging them and, and, and you think about what they could have produced at the radio station or what they could have done there? Well, I got a, I got a fairly hard lesson. I wouldn't say completely early on. It was, would have been with my second, third, third general manager. And um, he came in, he was kind of biding time and collecting a check because the stations were for sale, even though we didn't know that. And um, so he was in charge to kind of keep the ship together until the sale could go through. And um, so he comes in new and he, you know, basically interviews everybody just to see if, you know, everything, you know, I don't know what he, he, you know, he could very well have been doing it for the people that were acquiring the stations or whatnot. And, um, you know, my management style had probably grown a little stale on some of the folks um, under my charge. And um, I was sitting down with a one-on-one with him and um, he brings to light some of the things that were said and they weren't flattering. Were they taken as they were intended? Not necessarily, but I wasn't a good communicator then either. You know, so he basically told me I was, you know, a hair away from being let go if I didn't straighten up and fix these problems. And I said, well, what about this? What about that? This is what I've done in this time here and all that stuff. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, this is a what have you done for me lately industry? And that's when I closed my mouth and I said, yes, sir. I understand exactly where I stand. And I did my very best to fix it. I don't know if I ever did because there soon after I had, you know, I moved to Columbus, Georgia. But um, yeah, it's it was a rude awakening of saying, you know what, sometimes your way is not everybody's way. And um, if these people are receiving what you're putting out there as a vision or as instructions or whatever in 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 a way that you're a dictator and you're not uh, listening to their suggestions and it's your way or the highway you know you know you, you need to fix that and i tried to do that in my time that was left there but i certainly took those lessons to my next job um uh, to to be successful there too. You know, if there's any story that's been shared on on this podcast that that embraces the phrase the accidental leader, I think that's got to be it because that we walk into these leadership positions probably never growing up saying I, I'm going to lead people. You, you grow up and you want to be a, a pilot or you want to be a radio DJ, and then you end up having to lead people and and you're just doing what you know what's been instilled in you from from other leaders and you get called out like that and realize, wait a minute, I'm doing what I know. What's, 
What's wrong with that? Well, I, you know, I can't speak for other industries, but, I, you know, after 30 years in radio, um, one of the things that I've witnessed and I, uh, and I know happens is when you're successful as a seller or you're successful on the air, uh, one of the ways that uh, a radio station owner justifies giving you a raise for doing a good job is giving you more responsibility. And usually that responsibility comes with some sort of management, whether it's a management of a situation or management of people. And that's with zero management um, classes, right? You know, so you, you, nobody that I've come upon, and especially in my uh, own personal life, I never took management course, business management courses or anything like that. So I, I had zero, zero knowledge of how to manage people. I knew how to build a great radio station. I knew what the things should sound like on the air. I knew how to do remotes. I knew how to do promotions. I did, knew all that stuff, all the nuts and bolts of a radio station. I knew, uh, you know, some basic engineering. I, I knew how to do traffic. I, I knew, like I said, all these things that are pieces and parts of the physical day-to-day running of a radio station. But I had zero, nothing, no courses, no training, nothing when it came to management. And 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 I think it happens. I, I can only assume it happens in other industries as well. But my only, you know, my only experience is, you know, you got a guy that can sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo, and he's crushing his goals. Well, let's make him sales manager. Well, maybe he should just still sell. If he's that good at it, he should maybe just sell. Now he can maybe mentor some new salespeople to teach them the right ways, but is he really a manager? And and these high-performing people, whether it's on air or, or in sales, sometimes struggle in management roles because they are so high-performing. It's like Wayne Gretzky, the Best NHL player, um, you know, you can argue ever um, in the history. Terrible coach. Terrible coach. Had zero success as a coach because he couldn't understand or communicate to his players what he wanted to have done because everything came so natural to him. Um, And I think that's what happens with these high performers. Uh, They're promoted into these management positions. And, uh, well, they, they know how to sell. They know how to be on the air very well. But do they really know how to lead people? You know, I see that so often when, when we're doing strategic planning for our clients. We start talking succession planning. And, and you hear the conversation, well, Sally's been here 20 years. Maybe she should fill that role. And I have to ask, well, how are Sally's leadership skills? Can she lead herself well? Or is she just good at doing this thing? And, and so often people don't think about that, especially, you know, in, in the credit union industry where you have volunteer boards who may not have leadership experience. They just look at who, who's next in line instead of who's the next best person to lead. And does that person even exist in our organization? And, and gosh, you, you think of the, the bad leaders who are put in those positions and, and the damage they can do to not just an organization, but the damage they can do to a person and, and people when they're put in that position, it's, it's horrible to think about. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, if you, <laughs> it's the way I look at it. If you want, if, if Sally who's been there 20 years, isn't doing a great job, well, you know what, give her a raise. 
<laughs> you know, or, or, or commend her in another way. If, if she doesn't have the management background, maybe she's not the right person for that position. So we're going to pivot as we get towards the end of, of episode number 12 of the accidental leader. Think back. It was probably, it was over 20 years when you were leading me at, at the radio station in, in Elmira at Wink 106. What was one of your stories of of leading me? This is the this is the point where I have to be vulnerable because I have no idea what story you're going to share. I I don't even remember too much about that time, but I'm I'm sure well, some, some nuggets that that I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I you know I have people that work for me that I don't remember that they worked for me, and I mean mentioning my name in in, in trade magazines and whatnot. I think to myself, I don't remember this guy ever working for me. And uh, uh, that's not a bad thing. That means that must be I never must be I never had to you know sit them down and tell them they're doing something wrong or you know whatever you know what those usually those negative things are what stick out in your mind. So uh, when it comes to you, Bo, one of the things I remember quite well is your eagerness to do everything, and and um, just your creativity. Those were the two things that really stood out to me as an employee. But the thing that I remember the most is my heartbreak of having to let you go. Now, I've had to let numerous people go for all kinds of different reasons. But the ones that stick out to me are people like you that were very creative, had a very bright future. Um, But I just happened had to be the one that the Lord picked to say, okay, well, this is their turn to learn a little bit of humility. So it was, uh, I can, I got a handful of, of guys that I'm still in contact with. It's funny. My mother was uh, in education for 40 years or whatever, guidance counselor and, um, you know, grow up, growing up in our little small town of Whitney Point and all the rabble rousers loved her. They remembered her and they loved her. Well, guess what? That was the one she spent the most time with, right? The, the, the high, uh, high performing straight AIDS, Bell of Victorians and whatnot, never mentioned, never mentioned my mom to me, but those guys that, that, uh, you know, that are always in her office couldn't, you know, had a hard time struggling, you know, uh, going through their teenage years, making mistakes and whatnot. They were the ones that always asked me, how's your mom doing? Boy, I loved her, blah, 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 blah. And that's the way I feel with these, you know, maybe half a dozen guys that I had to let them go for good reason, but I also knew they had a great future. And I put you in that, in that particular um, column because we've stayed connected over these years. You know, I was one of the ones that just it broke my heart to let you go, but we had very good reasons. I won't share those, but um, we had very good reasons to do so. Um, but you certainly have excelled since then. I recall that very day. And I, I thought about it. It was a couple of weeks ago. I actually thought about that day. I was listening to to Howard Stern and he was reflecting back on on his career. By the way, I always thought you're talking about, you know, my my ego at a young age being in radio. Never hire an 18-year-old to be on the radio and, and run a show because the ego will just run wild <laughs> at the age of 18. You you think you're, you know, the hot stuff. I share a birthday with Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh, and I thought I thought I was the third person in that trifecta. That someday I'm going to be the next Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh. Never turned out that way. But I was listening to Howard Stern the other day, 
and he was reflecting back on on the, the same situation you talked about having an ego and, and mouthing off and thinking these people will never get rid of me and he was talking about his relationship with Sirius XM right now knowing I'm just a worker bee I make god loads of money but I'm not indispensable they can get rid of me at at any time I, I work for them and he was reflecting back on, on his time of getting fired several times at radio stations for mouthing off. And I remember too, I was sitting outside of Betty Coco's office. I remember exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I'd give him my notice because I was going to be moving down to the, the Pittsburgh Johnstown area. And I'd give him my two weeks. And I, I think I said something mouthy like, well, I could do whatever I want this week because, you know, they'll, they'll never get rid of me. And I came back from lunch. And I'll be damned if I was not <laughs> indispensable. To Wink 106 at that point. And that's a lesson I carry with me today. I, and I was reflecting back on that with Howard Stern's story that, you know, there, no one is, is indispensable. And you get that ego and, and think that, that you're not replaceable and you can do whatever you want, get away with whatever you want. Uh, that's, that's a bunch of bull. I remember uh, there's one, one gentleman I had to let go and super talented. And it's funny, he ended up in the... Uh, uh, at least for a good amount of time in the uh, credit union industry as well. But we had a uh, kind of an after hours for the chamber of commerce at the, uh, at the radio station. And uh, you know, everybody's having a good time and whatnot. And the clients are loving it. And it's, you know, it's, you know, they could see the stars of their favorite radio station and they're inter intermingling with the cool plaques on the wall from the record companies and the gold records and all this stuff and whatnot. The uh, adult beverages are flowing and whatnot. And uh, I happen to walk in the studio and uh, sure enough, my guy on the air getting in the sauce while he's on the air. And the next day I had to let him go. You can't, you can't put the license at, uh, you know, at risk. And that's one of the things that I, that I learned, you know, when you say, you know, no one is too big to let go. Uh, the only thing that matters in the radio world is that, is that license that you're given by the federal government to be able to broadcast. And when an employee puts that at risk, th there's no negotiation. There's no coming back from that because if, if they've done something, not only not only did they put the company in jeopardy, they're putting your job as their leader in jeopardy. And um, yeah, he was one, like I said, very talented on the air, ended up doing really well in the credit union world too, in a little different way than than, than you have. But but um, he's one of those you know handful of guys that uh, you know it just broke my heart to have let him go because they're just so talented, but good reason too. It's one of our final discussions. Accidental leaders are listening like you and I who, who've been thrown into leadership positions, never imagining that we would have to be in charge of, of other humans. What's your advice to young leaders and, and other accidental leaders that are just tuning in and, and struggling with this leadership thing? What one thing would you say to them is one of the most important lessons you've learned that you would want to pass on to them? Mentor. Find a mentor. It's, it's um, because you need somebody outside i guess it could be inside your organization as well but maybe outside of your office um uh to be able to bounce situations off and to get um advice from because no matter how long you've been in a management position you're always going to come upon new situations and new things where you need you need to be able to 
to talk it through. And uh, especially as a young leader, you need to be able to talk through situations so you can learn from them, learn from your mistakes, as well as also from your from your triumphs. And uh, I, I think the best way to do that is is a mentor. And it could be, like I said, somebody in your organization, but not in your office, somebody completely in a whole nother industry um, that you might know from your college or from church or from wherever, um, just to, you know. To be able to soak in their their knowledge and to have a mentor um, to help guide you, Bob, or BQVT, as I also affectionately <laughs> recall it. That's uh, that was inside joke. That was his name on the schedule usually at, at Wink One Hundred Six. So I was. <laughs> it was such a pleasure having this conversation and and talking today. And I know you're getting ready to head into some meetings, so I, I want to be respectful of your time, and we're probably over time as well, which I've done several times when we're having good conversations here on the podcast, but I just want to say thank you for taking the time today. Hey, you know, I, I appreciate it. I'm like I said, I'm so glad we've, we've stayed connected over the years and uh, just have uh, watched you grow and your company grow and just so proud of you. And um, I really appreciate you and your thoughts that I could add anything to this, this podcast that I've listened to uh, occasionally throughout the, ever since you started it. So once again, I appreciate the time and I appreciate uh, being with you today. You know, we, we've had some great conversations with other coaches, other, other mentors, people that, that do this for a living. But I, I think this has been one of the most authentic conversations we've had with, with advice from a peer, a, another leader, not someone that's, that's coaching, but just, just another accidental leader. So I want to Thank you for that. As we wrap up episode number 12 of The Accidental Leader brought to you by Uncommon and your marketing company. If you want to sign up for the newsletter or listen to past episodes, you can find us at theaccidentalleader.com. We'll see you in about two weeks on episode number 13. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. Courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon. Uncommon.